Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the TV voice of the Mariners, Dave Sims. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today on the program, we welcome the longtime television voice of the Seattle Mariners, throwing a little NCAA hoops and some NFL football, and you've got our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, David Sims. Simsy, thanks for coming on the program. Brody, good to hear your voice, man. Congratulations on the new gig, man. Well, thank you, thank you. It's a work in progress, but you know, I've I've had I've had a good time doing it. All right. That's a lot of hats. You've worn a lot of hats over the years. You've done everything. But, oh, pardon the pun, too, by the way, you have the <laughs> sharpest hats out there. Every time I see you're dressed to the nines, where do I get a good hat? Well, I tell you, we used to sell them about, oh, God, about nine years ago. We, we got associated with, uh, I was at Hats.com, and we sold uh, Panamas and all that kind of stuff. And we did it for about three, four years, made a couple of bucks. So it, it worked out pretty well. So I've got a collection of Panama hats. I use, uh, I also have those uh, Kangol vent caps, which are really, they look like caps that limo drivers wear. And they come in, you know, every color in the rainbow. So I love wearing those. And, and you know, and they match up well when we're wearing polo shirts, you know, because, you know, lately, particularly this last two seasons, we haven't really been getting dressed up with the pandemic and everything. But when we were required to wear, you know, shooting, uh, suit and tie or jacket and tie, it was in my wheelhouse, man. I grew up in Philly with the Catholic school, so I'm used to, you know, get, having to get dressed up. All right. You gave me my lead in. Born and raised in Philadelphia. Let's talk about David Sims as a kid. Dude, I was a psycho and still am a psycho sports fan. My old man. Worked at the post. Well, let's see. My old man was a you know child of the depression, World War II veteran. Worked at the post office. Worked his way up from mail clerk to supervisor to superintendent. And and during that time, you know, he, he was a jock all the way. He grew up as a super jock in Philly. So I've always been going to games. I mean, I, I've gone to games since I was like, I don't know, four or five years old. I got to see every Hall of Famer, uh, National League Hall of Famer you know, from like 1957 through high school. And I went to, went to see NBA games when Wilt Chamberlain was there. We'd always go to Eagles games. We had season tickets on multiple occasions. So I, I've really been in it. I was a pretty good athlete in high school and uh, played football, basketball, and baseball. So, you know, I'm, I wasn't destined to be a, be a chemist, I can tell you that. Isn't it interesting you mentioned uh, the National League? But it, sports was so different back then. You know, I remember, and I'm a little bit younger than you, but I remember even growing up, it was like a big deal uh, for, for the Phillies when we were playing on the West Coast because it didn't have – in today's sports, we're flying all over the place. We're interleague play. It's no big deal to be in Seattle one day and New York the next. But, but back right. in the day, that was like a big trip. Like, hey, we're going to the West Coast all the way from yeah. Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, well, that's how it was back then. Yeah, and you're right, because I remember – I can remember on a Labor Day around 1965, it was a big deal because it was the Phillies' first telecast live – I think – I'm pretty sure I have that year right – from from L.A. 
and it was really cool. Here we are, in, you know, in Philly, and it's like four o'clock, and you know, here's Don Drysdale pitching against Jim Bunning, and we're watching it live. We don't have to listen to it on the radio. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you're right. It, it you know, it things are way different now. There's no question about it. And certainly for me, living here in Seattle or spending time in Seattle, I still live in New York. Um, it's uh, yeah, we travel so freaking much. You know, you did it. Fifty-five, fifty-six thousand miles every year. Bethany College, uh, communications major. You you played a little baseball and football there. Tell me yeah. about tell me about the college years. But, uh, I was recruited to go to Temple University, and I'll never forget this. A coach named John Drew came after me in March of my senior year, and I said, "Coach, I'm not going to play D1." He says, "No, no, no, no. We run an I for we run an I offense." power eye offense and the coaches in your league love you you're like the best fullback in the league come on down take a visit took a visit and i i'll never forget the skip singletary was an all east guard and he was like one of the biggest dudes i'd ever seen i said if i can't outrun this dude i'm not i know he'd be blocking for me but if there's other guys with things i'm not doing this so i wound up going to little bethany college in west virginia played d3 ball best thing i ever did Halfway through the season, I'm, you know, lead, I led the league in, in uh, the conference and kickoff returns. And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to devote myself to, you know, broadcasting, journalism, writing, the whole thing. And that's, and that's how basically how my career started. And, uh, you know, onward and upward from there. Yeah. So you go from – you go from – I was a catcher. You were a catcher. And you go from – Bethany College athlete to the sports director, and you're the editor of the paper. Yeah. Like overnight, I mean, is this something as a kid that when you were playing sports, was this something in the back of your mind go, yeah, but I like I like this, uh, the sports, the, the career that you chose. Was yeah. that a thought yeah, growing you. up? You know what happened? A guy, somebody, I think somebody in high school, and they said, you know, Pretty good baseball player, but you know, not as you make a baseball player. Come on, let's be real. You're good, but come on. But you can be around it, you know, you can cover it. And I went, Yeah, that's a really good idea because you know, I know it. I'm, I'm watching it. I you know, devour sports pages a day. Yeah, we can do that. And that, that's what really got me turned on. And the biggest turning point was after my sophomore year, Philadelphia Inquirer, which I'm sure you remember, uh, they had an internship program, and I was one of 14 kids from around the country. And uh, they threw me right in. Hey, kid, you know anything about soccer? No, not really. Guess what? You're going to learn. So I covered soccer and did a lot of fill-in work. And then uh, the next year, the program didn't exist, but the sports director, Tim, sports editor, Tim Kelly, said, hey, we like what you did. We like your hustle. Um, would you like to come back next year? I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And so I did that. came back a second year and a third year, and I graduated and wound up taking a job in New York. At the New York Daily News. Daily News, you did that for seven years. Uh, yeah. Cover, you covered some St. John's baseball. How, how was it and where you are now today? You, you started off as a sports writer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got to – did you know Don Scala? He was a bullpen no. coach for the Yankees. Okay, anyway, he – he was a good third baseman at St. John's. And, they, you know, they're one of the few Eastern programs, at least back in the 70s, where, you know, you could almost write them in uh, making the regional tournaments. And they wound up going to the College World Series in 78 and 80 and made a lot of friends. I, that's where I got to know Frank Viola and Johnny Franco, uh, covering those guys and writing about them. 
And uh, and I also did some games on, and then later on, about ten years later, I did some games on MS, uh, M- MSG Network. And that's where I feel it really get my first taste of doing some baseball on the air, and and I and I loved it, man. It was great. But I, it, it was um, I, I've had I've been very Habuti. I've been unbelievably lucky being able to do all the things I've, I've, I've put on paper uh, uh, in my career. It's been a blast. It really has been. I'll tell you, you know, I, I knew you'd covered Franco and Viola. Uh, man, they, it still gives me. Hey, you know how you sit in a room sometimes. I, I even I might get a twitch when you mentioned Franco. Franco was one of those lefties. I'm telling yep. you, when he was closing for the Mets, I could not get a hit off him. I could not yeah. get a hit off him. Frankie V, I, I got to the big leagues, and this is my quick story on the two. <clears throat> Franco just owned me my whole career. Viola, I remember getting my big league call in 92, and we we had to Boston. We, we played Baltimore was the opening game, then we had to Boston. And I remember the guys in the club, hey, we got Frank Viola tomorrow. I said, what's he got? Well, he's got a really good changeup. He's this. He's like, oh, shoot, lefty changeup, no big deal. I've been seeing those my whole life. That was my first taste of what a big-time lefty in the big leagues was versus your typical lefty in the minor leagues. Yeah. Frank Viola, I came yeah. back and I said, I said, God, I said, that's not a changeup they throw in Calgary. And they said, that's Frankie V baby. And, and uh, yeah. I saw those two names and I just thought, man, usually I like it. Simsy through my career. I loved hitting <laughs> pretty much any lefty, but those are yeah. two that I have not fond memories about. Yeah, man. Those, and they, I tell you what, you should have seen them cutting through college kids. Uh, they were, you know, they were way ahead of the curve. And two good dudes too. And, and I understand. I think the, I, I I see Dan occasionally in New York. Frank, I believe, still in Florida, and he was coaching for somebody. He was a pitching coach either at college, I think, maybe a, with the Twins or, or the Mets, and he would do some spring training stuff. Good guy, both good guys. All right, so you go from writing to radio. <clears throat> And you go to work for WNBC. That's that's the stern. That's the stern call number, call letters. Yeah. Uh, you're you hosting know. the sports night. Tell me about that. You're, you're at the same station. You got Don Imus and, and Howard Stern. Two, you know, especially back in those days, about as controversial oh, as you can get. You know, Stern's gone a little more mainstream. Uh, tell me about that first big gig for you, at WNBC. Yeah, that was that was really something, man. You know, I just missed Howard. Howard had left in August of '85. I get there in March '86, and my agent had been trying to get me in there because they used to, you know, this is a dangerous thing. They used to do a, a music sports talk combo show. Hey, Billy Joel. Uh, that was Billy Joel with my life. Coming up after this time out, we're going to talk about the Mets loss today. And I was like, that didn't work. So they decided to go straight sports talk, and I couldn't get in there to save my butt. But I knew Marv Albert from my days covering the Knicks. And uh, Marv made a call. Next day I get an interview. I auditioned about a week later, and, and a month after that, it was in March 3 of uh, 86, I was at Sports Night. It was Sports Night with Dave Sims. And, and Mike Breen, who just went into the Basketball Hall of Fame, he was my number one producer uh, during that time. And we did a lot of things. We did a lot of contests. We did a lot of sports talk. We had panel discussions. We do. We did a lot of things that people are doing now, uh, and it, it was a blast. I mean, fifty thousand watts at night, seven thirty to midnight, covering like forty-eight, covering pretty much 
before, let's see, of the lower 48, we were probably hitting about 40 of the lower 48 states. Dude, it was crazy. We'd, we'd take phone calls from all over. And this was before, this was about a year and a half before FAN came on the scene and changed the whole dynamic of sports talk radio going 24-7. So that, that was a great experience. And, and the exposure in New York at that time, at, well, any time, particularly at that time, that led to so many gigs, man. Madison Square Garden Network. I went up simulcasting my show once a week for a couple of years. We had we had Willie Mays and Mantle on and all of those guys, and uh, and then that led to NBC Sports. I got to cover the '88 Olympics, so it was uh, it was that was a meaningful job, man. That was one of the best gigs I've ever had, and I think it that exposure certainly built the next like thirty some years of my career. I'm interested in this. Um, you know, as an athlete and doing what I did, there's certain, there's certain, uh, I don't know what the actual word is for it, but there's certain pinnacles you hit in your journey to where you're trying to get. And obviously, you know, I, I go to college, I play baseball at USC, then I, then I get drafted. I'm in A ball and then I'm in double A and I'm in triple A. Now I'm in the big leagues. Now I'm thinking, What's my oh, oh, I want to be an all-star. You know, and there's certain certain levels you hit. I'm interested from your side of the ledger. Did you think that way? Like, all right, I'm at WNBC. Now, now I'm working the Summer Olympics. And and wait a minute, I'm about to be on the fan. Now I'm doing middays on the fan starting in 89. Right. And, and the reason I bring that up is I've had a, a you know a lot of a lot of writers on a, a lot of broadcasters on, and I was talking to Sweeney Murty and and uh, well, I, I mentioned I mentioned him and we got David Sims coming on. He goes, oh Simsy. He goes, I was an intern when he was at the fan back in ninety one, yep. I think. And I yep. said, yeah, well we'll be talking to Sweeney. I'll give you a little shout out. But I'm just interested in in your mind. Were there were there Oh, I got here. Okay, my next goal is to get here. Take me through that a little bit. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I always wanted to do play-by-play. I mean, I used to do play-by-play during board games. I used to, you know, we'd be playing these roller hockey games out in the backyard and that kind of stuff, wiffle ball, the whole thing. And and I always had my eye on that. And again, that exposure train. I mean, it took me, you know, WNBC, MSNBC. I mean, uh, MSG Network. Uh, ESPN that opened the doors to them, which led to Westwood one. Uh, and then Westwood one from there. What did I do? I did that for a lot of years with the tournament and NFL. And then, and I, then ESPN, you know, got me some baseball exposure and, and ended up with the Mariners. But yeah, that was my, my main goal. I think going back when I, when I look back, I wanted to, I always loved to play by play guys, man, Kurt Gowdy and in Philly, Harry, uh, Harry Callis. And, and Pat Summerall and John Madden on TV and Marv and Charlie Jones, who I got to work with. I mean, I thought those guys were, you know, they were I, they were rock stars in my eyes, and that, that's where I wanted to be. And uh, yeah, that was that was definitely that was definitely my target point. We talk about play by play. Ninety, you did the the Temple Owls. You you were doing the play by play. For the basketball for the Owls, ninety one ESPN. Uh, college basketball. Tell me how that play-by-play transition was for you. Um, let's see. I was still, I was, you know, I was multitasking because I would be doing morning. I do a 10 to 10 to 1, 10 to 2 at FAN. And then ESPN uh, 
regional. They were keeping me locally. And uh, I was doing, and they started sending me around uh, nationally uh, uh, to doing games. And that, that was a lot of fun, man. It was, uh, and I got to work with a lot of different guys and, and moving in, and baseball specifically. I got to work with Larry Sorensen, uh, Freddie Lynn, uh, Jerry Royce. I mean, I worked with some good guys, and it was tremendous exposure. We'd do the B-net games. So, like, if the Yankees and Red Sox were coming into your – were, like, if in the Yankees and Red Sox market, you would get our game because the, the local rights holders had those games. And it was still tremendous exposure. And it, it, was, a, it was a learning experience. It was a lot of fun. And I and – I, a lot of moments where I pinch myself, like, dude, you're really doing this. This is happening. <laughs> this is not a dream. No need to wake up. This is real life. It was it, it was tremendous, man. Covering March Madness. Uh, yeah, every time I sit down and, and I do my homework uh, to get ready for these podcasts, it's amazing to me when I when I look at at you know f- for someone like you and the and the 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 career path because I'm just sitting there going, I'm a baseball player. So I train my butt off all winter and I get ready for a season. I play 162 and man, when that season ends, uh, some seasons are great. Some aren't so great, but it's time to, okay, let me take a breath. Let me go home, spend some time with the family. You know, I'll get back into that training routine in a couple weeks. But I look at, at you and what you do, and it's like, nope, okay, we got the baseball season over. We're going to jump into football. We got March Madness. Yeah. We're back to baseball. And it never ends. And I think, wow, that's a lot. But, but a part of me thinks, but it's probably pretty cool because you've got, you know, when that baseball season ends, and we all know what a grind it is, it, it sure. kind of could be refreshing for you, like, wow, all right kind of a jump start like let's get into something else I, i'm kind of burnt out right now on baseball this exactly. is gonna that's gonna liven things up so it, it's you know i look at it less like wow it's a lot of work yes but it, it's what keeps you going yeah and you know it's interesting you know we, we've had some some uh you guys had the, the you know some of the more successful seasons in mariner history we had a few seasons here that weren't and where the nfl was a nice respite uh you know and because of the energy of of football and especially on radio because it's such a visceral thing and and you got to you really have to be describing like crazy as opposed to tv where you can just sort of let it flow you're stealing on tv and radio you have to describe everything you know, far back to pass looks to his right throws over uh to the right sideline and uh you know completes the so-and-so gate of 15 tackle by and you do you're doing that for three hours but I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm in the National Football League, dude. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm doing games with Man Favre, you know, uh, Kurt Warner, all the Hall of Famers during that time, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers. That was always a rush, and it was always energizing. And, and there would always be maybe a week or two around Thanksgiving. I'd sort of hit a wall, but I'd rejuvenate and finish strong and take it to the house for the playoffs and then go to Hawaii for the Pro Bowl. So, hey, no complaints, man. It, 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 it was it was amazing, and I know from talking to a lot of kids, there's so many kids that want to get into business, and uh, I, I just tell them, I said, you know, you, you got to take it as it comes. It doesn't last forever, and and it's and it's just been an absolute blast. And you know, I I was really ticked off when I got I got cut loose by Westwood One, but in a, a lot of ways it did me a favor because you know as you get older, 
you know, you're doing that not that 10-month, 11-month grind, it does catch up to you after a while. But it was a rush, I will tell you. March Madness, give me the atmosphere. Uh, the best, dude. Um, especially, it, like, the first round, everybody is, you know, everybody's on even keel. Uh, even if you're doing a 116 game because you're hoping for that Cinderella upset. And, and then when you get, as you move on to the second day, uh, oh, that's what it was, the other thing, too. There was a time when Westwood went to a point where we broadcast all four games of that first day. You want to talk about a broadcast marathon. You're doing four high-level D1 games, four games in a day, take a blow the next day and come back for a doubleheader uh, like on a Saturday after doing four games on Thursday. And then if you're lucky, if you make the regionals, you do two games uh, the following week and then one game on Saturday or Sunday for the championship and the right to go to the Final Four. Uh, unbelievable energy. And the biggest thrill probably was the George Mason upset of number one Connecticut back in 06. And then I got to about three or four years, uh, I got to host the final four uh, uh, broadcast courtside. Uh, I, I was in Atlanta, Minneapolis, and Indianapolis doing that, you know, teeing it up for Raftery and uh, who was it, Marty Brenneman and, and uh, oh God, what's his name? What's my man's name? And, and uh, I'll figure it in a second. Anyway. With a lot of, you know, just some of the primo guys in the business. So that, you know, I, I've had the, I had an opportunity to mix, you know, the rub elbows with some a lot of, with a lot of good guys. And you know, Marty Brenneman's been a friend since that, you know, over the last twenty years because of that. Brad Sham is the Cowboys uh, announcer. With a lot of friendships that developed, you know, out of that over the years. But it's it's been tremendous, man. I tell you, you know, not a super religious guy, but boy, I got a lot to be thankful for. For 16 years now, you've been doing basketball and beyond with Coach K. Uh, this is last year coming up at Duke. He's retiring. Uh, how much fun has that show been for you? You know, because of his cachet, he basically, you know, the producers, they can be bold. They say, Coach, we're going to go after so-and-so. We're going to go after so-and-so. He can get anybody in basketball. So, I mean, we've had Kobe, LeBron, Kevin had Shaq. We get Chuck on all the time. We've, had, we've not had MJ. Um, but other than that, we've had everybody else. We've had all the coaches. Like Nick Saban has won a million championships, and he's been on like every time he wins. He and Dabo Sweeney. We get baseball managers. We get, you know, Tory, Socia, Madden, uh, you name them. We've had, oh, we've got guys who are super Duke fans like Mike Trout and, uh, and Bryce Harper, among others, Dansby Swanson. I know Mike going back to 1977 when he was the coach at West Point, and we used to have these uh, basketball writers luncheons where coaches would come to Mom, the great Mama Leone's restaurant at 49th and uh, 8th in Manhattan, and we'd sit around and chew the fat, and everybody would get up and talk about their team, and we'd get good stuff to write about, good feature material. And Bill Raftery was always the funniest guy. He and Jim Balbano and Tom Penders and P.J. Carlissimo. And Mike was a real quiet guy. He was, you know, quiet at, at Army. And, hey, I'm glad it's our Army, Luke Hornacekia used to say. But they weren't very good. Next thing I know, he's a Duke. And then he flashed forward. Here it is. He starts winning championships. He's going to Final Fours all the time. And it was back in, oh, so 16 years ago, my wife and I, because I didn't have uh, baseball at the time, um, we were doing media coaching and, and he, and because of our, he knew me and he brought me down and 
we, we did a, a seminars and individual workouts with guys on the importance of how to deal with the media and how, make, how to make it work, work worthwhile for you. And that's when XM Radio and Sirius came on the scene, and this was before they merged. And they said, do you have any restrictions that would keep you from doing a national radio show? I said, hell no. And here we are, you know, 16 years later, going into his final year as a coach. And he become a good friend. I tell you what, when the, the Mariner job opened, the Mariner job opened, first guy I called him went, yo, coach. He said, I got a chance to get a job in Seattle, doing the Seattle Mariners. He says, I got you. Who do I call? Boom, done. Wow. Yeah, he's man, it, it's ama- uh, I'm getting old now. Shashevsky's retiring. It's like, you know, another legend yeah, in the game. My my childhood, it was it was Duke then. It was Notre Dame football, USC football. Uh and another another great career coming to an end. 2006, uh Sunday night football starts for you. Uh yeah, another chapter. Work another with, chapter. Uh, the night, uh, the late great Jim Fossil, I believe, is my first uh, first partner. He just passed away recently. Good guy. But then, uh, I, and then I worked with Bob Trumpy, who's tremendous. You know, terrific player with Cincinnati. You know, legendary broadcaster on NBC. Did a million Orange Bowls with Don Crickey. I learned a lot from him. Um, and then uh, did about six years with James Lofton, and we became like uh, you know like family and played golf. You know. It, you know, the pandemic has kept us from uh, being able to tee it up down at San Diego the last couple of years. I look forward to being able to get down there. But uh, that, again, the thrills of, of being in the biggest game, Sunday night football, as you know, you know, they always have the primo game that week. So every week for like six years, man, I, that's where I was. And, and the Mariners were great allowing me to only miss like two weekends. We worked out a deal with, that, uh, with them, and, and that worked out well. And you know Monday Sunday night football is a blast, man. It's the whole and you know what's great, uh, people who are in the business. Uh, if they had a one o'clock or four o'clock game Eastern, they're all driving home listening to us do the uh, the Sunday night game. And I've heard from so many people uh, over the years about you know how hey I had a long ride. You kept me awake during that ride. You know, <laughs> listen to the game, and that was. And I got to go to – I think I've been to every venue in the NFL. I think in baseball I've been to every venue, but I think City Field is going to be the last one I have to check off, and that'll be next year. Um, but Sunday Night Football is super it, – it, the city – every time you go into a city for Sunday Night Football, you go into like Saturday night or Sunday morning, man, that city is jacked. And it's, it, it is – it's awesome. It really is. This stage, you, you've kind of done it all from, you know, hoops, football, baseball, college level, pro. Uh, what are the differences in the three? Um, you know, baseball is a minute, you know, the, it's a nice leisurely pace that has some, uh, you know, it's like a, a slow-moving train sometimes, and then all of a sudden you're downhill, no brakes. Football is like that from minute one, There's all, and especially doing it on radio. You know, I've done a ton of Biggie's football and TV for ESPN and ESPN Regional. But I, I just love the dynamic of switching, of changing speeds all the time from baseball, a little more frenetic, a lot more frenetic with uh, football. And then in the basketball, same type of thing. You get a lot of regional ri- uh, rivalries where you have tremendous excitement and anticipation going into every game. 
So in terms of being able to, like if you're an adrenaline junkie, I mean, it, it's, it's the best. It is the best. And, uh, you know, I, I'm getting older now, but I, I still, I still love it. I mean, last, even during the pandemic, uh, last year, I got to do St. Jo- a couple of St. John's games, um, no crowd. Now that was a big change. That's a big change. Um, that, and it's eerie. It, it's just like it was weird doing baseball games in front of cardboard cutouts. But it, it's a blast, man. I'm telling you, I, I've been – the big guy has blessed me in a big way, and, and I give my parents so much credit for, uh, hey, you can do this kind of stuff. Yeah, there, you know, there's no black guys doing this stuff, so what? But that, that has changed. The diversity in the industry has, has improved tra- dramatically. And I, and I know I hear from a lot of white and black young men and women but particularly being African-American, being, being a city guy from Philly, I hear from, I've heard from a lot of kids over the years, and I've mentored a lot of kids over the years, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, hey, man, it's, I, I just I knock wood and thank God every day, man. You mentioned mentors. Who was your mentor? Uh, or did you have one? The great, uh, let me think. I, you know, I had this advisor at college at Bethany, Jim Carty, in terms of writing, he was a really he was a renowned writer down in Tennessee at, at, in Nashville. He was one. A guy named Tim Kelly, who, who was my sports editor. A guy named Bill Livingston was a columnist in Cleveland for a lot of years. We covered <laughs> we covered the U.S. What, was, what league was that? Was that the USFL? No, that was the World Football League. And I I was like his Jimmy Olsen. He was the lead writer, and I would write the sidebars. And we were, you know he was a white guy from Dallas, so we called ourselves Salt and Pepper. So that, that, was, that was hilarious. We had a lot of laughs, learned a lot from him. And then broadcast-wise, I mean, guys I've admired, you know, Vince Scully. I mean, I, I called Mr. Scully on his birthday the last five, six years. Brad Sham, voice of the Cowboys. Marty Brenneman, the late great Bob Wolf, was a baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, I, Bill White. Hey, Bill White, uh, you know, the former National League president, great player. Giants and Cardinals, been a big help over the years, a big inspiration over the years. I mean, that's just the name of few. 2007, you get that Mariners opportunity you mentioned. Uh, I missed you, Sibsy. Now, it, it's weird because we've seen each other so much over the years. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's morphed in like, no, Sibsy was doing my games at the end. No, he wasn't. But, <laughs> but when I come right. up to Seattle, I always stop by the booth and I get to see you. Um, yeah, so we barely missed each other by a year there. Uh, you've had although, a lot of partners I will up say there. This, Brett, there was a game I did, an ESPN B-Net game one time, and um, it was a Wednesday night game. So I was there Tuesday, and you smoked one dead central. And never forget, I can't remember who it was against. So it would have been like 04. Were you with the – Yeah, 04 I was. Yeah, all right, so it was 04. I just remember talking to you, having some laughs. You said some funny things that cracked me up. I couldn't use it on the air, but it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) You've had a lot of partners. You had like like a five iron over the center field wall, man. It was great. Well, that's what you needed back then. Now you you need a, a, you know, choke down six iron because you, the building the buildings are different you're moving the fences in for these kids because they yep. whine that the ball doesn't carry no i'm kidding um you've had a lot of partners rick riz uh the late great david kneehouse um 
14 years with the Mariners to, to date. What's your connection like with the fans? And in the booth, what's important to you? Uh, what do you feel your job is to between the game and the fans? Yeah, you know, I, you know what they I know as a fan myself, I want to know what kind of guy said, you know, player A is. What's he going through? And it's on, on television, you can see what's happening. So I want to set up, you know, Mike Flowers or whoever I'm working with. Give me the, the, the why and the wherefores. Why did it happen? I saw that it happened, but why did it happen and what led up to it? Also, first guess, what do you think is going to happen? And that's the beauty of being a fan. The fans want to know that kind of information. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't do – I didn't get a chance to call many games with Dave Meehouse because when I got here – he would do the first three innings on, on TV. I would be on with Rick Riz. And then we'd, we'd pass each other in the hallway, switching. I'd go over to TV, and he'd come back over to radio. But I did sit with him those first couple of years on the plane. And, man, I heard, some again, some great, great stories about his time in Anaheim, uh, working for uh, a cowboy, Gene Autry, and talking about the days that, you know, where he worked with Don Drysdale and Euchre and people like that. So I heard a lot of gems there. Uh, it's been fun. But in terms of – I want I want the fans to feel comfortable. I want, I want them to feel plugged in and keep their interest. And, and it's interesting, too. You know, Booney, the first year first, – yeah, first year or two, I can remember um, my, my oldest son – texting me and calling me says, Dad, you're getting freaking killed on Twitter. I said, Bob, what do you want? I'm the new guy, the East Coast guy. What do you want? They'll, you know, it'll, it'll come around, and, and it has since come around. I mean, people, for the most part, I mean, my wife reports, you know, some people, hey, you're not going to please everybody. Not, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to love you. But I think the fact that, you know, an organization, you know, has got me here in, in, in my 15th year, and the, the online responses have been, Tremendous! You know, I do. I always do shout outs now to people listening in, in you know, overseas, and that draws a big response. And it, it's just, I think, familiarity because you literally are coming into somebody's home every night. And I, I can remember Mar- Michael uh, Conforto, who's with the Mets, Oregon State guy, and the Mets were here a few years ago. And he came over. He says, "I was, I, I didn't want to come over to disturb you, but I just want to tell you hello." And, I grew up listening to you. So I've been doing this long enough to be getting those now. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned Niehaus. He he was I'll tell you, as a young player in Seattle when I was a kid coming up, ninety two, ninety three, he'd he'd be down like like you guys do before the game, you know, you'll go down and just kind of chat with the players, maybe watch a little BB. And Niehaus would be there and I'm telling you. I don't know if it was just the time and I was so green and I was just getting there, but I almost looked at Niehaus like, okay, I'm here to prove myself that I'm a big leaguer. You know, I'm, I'm still in the process of, of doing that. Absolutely. But something, there was something weird about Dave, like, okay. And I have to get that guy's approval too. <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing. I never, after, you know, I went on to Cincinnati and, and, you know, it came full circle for me. I came back to Seattle in 2001 uh, and it was completely different. It was a, it was a different relationship. I was a veteran player. You know, I, I wasn't a kid anymore. Yeah. And David was that, uh, you know, he was that one guy that this time it was different. It was, uh, I didn't have to get his approval anymore. I had been there and done that, but, but he had a presence about him. He had a presence about him. Well, yeah, he, he had been there since day one. 
So, and, and you got to remember too, that he, that Dave was so big and one for, for a lot of reasons, but the main reason you got to remember all during that time, unlike now, all the games were not televised. So your only connection to Mariner baseball was uh, on the radio. And, you know, you're talking probably, let's see, 1977. I don't think that full package started till probably sometime in the 90s. So he was he was the voice on radio, the voice of baseball. It worked out real well for him. And you'd mentioned several times so far, you talk about Marty Brenneman. Maybe that's, Sibsy, maybe that's what made me tough. I had to deal with Brenneman in Cincinnati for five years, every day. Wearing them, I bet wearing he was them, on your butt sometimes too, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, wearing those Sansa belts down into my locker, and I'd have to wear them out, and he'd be wearing yep. me out. <laughs> to this day, uh, you know, we had him on the podcast, and uh, still a great relationship I have with him to this day. All right, get to blow. Mike Blowers, longtime buddy of mine. We played in the minor leagues. We played in the big leagues together. He's been your partner for a while now. Uh, what's it like working with Blow? You know, he's an understated guy. Um, you know, he he can get he can get fired up every now and then, and uh, you know he, he he enjoys it. Yeah, you know, he doesn't. Uh, you know, he wants to stick right to the, the analysis of what's going on uh, and analyze you know a play. He's different from me because I like going down and talking to the players. And I like coming back with anecdotes. And, you know, I like talking about baseball history. I like getting him involved talking with, talking about baseball history and about his career and, you know, running with you guys. And, you know, that's always fun to hear those stories. Those, you know, baseball stories are great. Baseball stories, boxing stories, horse racing stories, golf stories, they're all, they're so good. And for my money, you can't get enough of them. And, and I, I like, I like uh, to hear those kinds of things. Yeah, blow when you know from from because I, I know his personality so well, and it, it shocked me more than anybody when he got uh, on that side of the ledger. He started doing the pre and the post game. Next, next right. thing you know, in the booth, he was like the last guy on earth I thought would want to do that. Because Mike, you know how Mike is. He's just like whatever. Yeah, give me what yeah. I need to do. What? And I never thought he'd do it. He's got, he's got a long run now. I want to take yeah. it to 2012. And you did something pretty unique. Uh, you got to call two perfect games in the same year. Felix and uh, Philip Humber. What was that like? I, I don't you – know, I've never been in a perfect game. I've been in a, in a no-hitter, Chris Basio, uh, my first time with the Mariners. I've almost wow. been no-hit a few times, never seen a perfect game. Man, it is, you know – I, the first perfect game I ever saw was Jim Bunning, Father's Day, 1964, at the Mets at Shea. And, and that game was like two hours and ten minutes. So it, here's the circumstances around the Philip Umber game. It was like the third Saturday. It was like April 21. So we're early in the season. And Kenny Albert, who's a, who's a Fox guy, he was supposed to do that game. But he also one of his other gigs, you know, he, you think I worked a lot of gigs. He was the radio voice of the New York Rangers hockey team. They made the playoffs that year, so he couldn't make the game. So I get a call, hey, could you, would you mind doing a, you know, are you available to do, you know, our Fox game on Saturday? I said, hell yeah, let's do it. So I'm working with Eric Karros. Nice day. It's a gorgeous Saturday afternoon. The Yankees-Red Sox are the main game. We're to be in that game. And next thing you know, you know, the third inning, you don't think anything about it, but 
by about the fifth inning, you're going, boy, there's a certain look in my scorecard. It's kind of perfect here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you get into the sixth, seventh. And I, I'm one of these guys. I know you guys as players in the, in the dugout, don't read, you know, don't talk to the pitcher. You don't mention perfect game, no hitter. Any of that. Well, that's, that's not my job. My job is to broadcast and tell people what the heck is going on to report what's going on. So I'm going, Hey, He's got a perfect game going. This is really cool. And it started to get very exciting as we got to the seventh, the eighth, and then the ninth inning was a funky play that ended it. But it was a blast. And and finally, it was interesting that in the ninth inning, Fox full network finally came to us. And we got to call a perfect game. That was great. The Felix game in, uh, later on that year, was it August 15 of 2012? That was unbelievable because it was our guy. He was at the peak of his powers. He was brilliant that day, a one nothing win over uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, Brendan Ryan made a couple good plays at shortstop. There was a great catch in right field. Uh, that was emotional. That was very emotional for me because of what of who Felix was and and what he meant to the to the franchise and what he meant uh, to the city. And it was just the coolest thing, man. And and I remember talking to a friend of mine, Mike Claiborne, who does Cardinals games. And I was out celebrating with my wife at a Japanese restaurant. Mike called, how you doing, man? I, says, I understand you called a perfect game. That's great. I said, I'm trying to calm down. Come down. He says, don't you ever come down off of that. That may never happen again. That was, you know, it's a unique experience. And, you know, it's one of the highlights of my broadcast career for sure. And, yeah, you get into the, you know, the, the, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to call it, but those rules, like you can talk, you can't talk. Uh, I I was never, uh, you know, here's what, here's what I played my career by. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If I, yeah, right. I just, if I had, if I got three hits tonight and drove in four, yeah, I'm probably not going to rock the boat. I'm probably going to do what I did yesterday. Uh, but I wasn't a stickler for it. As far as the perfect games, you know, I mentioned I was in the Basio no-hitter. Wasn't broken. Don't fix it. So, yeah. I, of course, during that game, I didn't go up to a pitcher in the seventh go, or, and start talking about it. But, yes, you're oh, in a completely different – you're not in that dugout. You're not on the field. You're in a completely different uh, genre. Oh, I mean, you, you're, your job is to – Give the people out there listening, watching, what is going on. We need to know. You might have a guy who has no clue what's going on. He tunes in in the seventh <laughs> inning, sees if the Mariners are winning the game today. Well, it'd be nice to know if, if we're in the middle of something. Let me throw this story at you. Let me throw this one up. McCarver comes up to me a couple, three weeks later in uh, – uh, this was a different year. What was it? Uh, Doug, Doug Trister had a no-no into the seventh. So I see McCarver we're in Chicago. Hey, Dave Hawaii says, hey, what's this I hear you talking about a no-hitter? So now I'm ready. You know, I got, you know, now the little bit of hair I have is standing up on my neck. I think I'm going to go toe-to-toe with Tim McCarver. We're going to be bitching and moaning about this. Really? He says, I love it. I love that you do that. I said, oh, good. All right. He tells me the story that he came home from a game one time. He threw his stuff down. He's putting around in the kitchen for like an hour, but he's got the game on in the background on TV, I think it was. He said, if the guy tells me it's in the fifth inning, if he tells me the guy's working on a no, a no-no, I'm going to sit in front of the TV and watch. It was like the ninth inning, and then he hears the guy say he's got a no-hitter, and he got, Timmy said, he, I ran in and saw the final out. I had to watch the entire freaking game. 
you got to tell people what's going on. And you got to remember, we're in a money-making business here in broadcasting. We want to get as many eyeballs and ears attuned to the broadcast. And to do that, you got to tell people what the hell is going on, like you said. Baseball, football, basketball. Uh, what are your – well, obviously the, the, uh, the no-hitters, the perfect games, those are obviously big, big, you know, uh, moments in your career. But what are some of your other big moments that you remember? Called seven NFL or uh, AFC, you know, AFC, NFC. I've called seven conference championship games. I remember, oh goodness, I can remember the Ravens. They had Tom Brady and, and the Patriots dead to rights, and a tight end dropped a, a, a gimme touchdown pass on a short corner to, the, I'll never forget it, to the right side. It's a kid from Wisconsin. That's where my youngest son went. And then. They missed the tying field goal, and, and New England went on to win. You can remember another one where in Pittsburgh, FC Championship, Pittsburgh won a game. Troy Palomalo took a, uh, uh, an interception back for a touchdown that proved to be the game winner. You know, those are two that jump out. And uh, I can remember, <laughs> I remember doing another game where Favre, Michael Strahan got the single-season sack record at Giants Stadium, and Favre laid down for him, and, and they gave him the sack, and, and that was funny, and, and we were all over Favre for doing that uh, on the air. Um, the, that, uh, oh, man, I did a couple, couple of games where uh, Deshaun Jackson, I can remember James Lofton saying, don't kick it to him, don't kick it to him, and Deshaun Jackson of the, then with the Eagles, took it back about 75 yards for a game-winning punt return. So there have been certain plays that stand out. I can remember, oh, what was the other one? I'm an Eagle fan, clearly. Donovan McNabb completed a fourth and 21 to Freddie. Uh, I forgot his last name already. Freddie from uh, UCLA. And I didn't think he made it. I said it on the I got to work with Jack Ham on that game and, and as well as many other games. And uh, and he wound up getting it, getting it. The Eagles went on, got the field goal, and they went on to play in the NFC Championship game. So – those are some of the games that jump out that, you know, when I quickly think about it right now. Boomstick baby and giddy up. Where'd they come from? I know boomstick <laughs> is, is Nelson Cruz. And by the way, yep. Nelson Cruz never played with him. I remember when he was a kid, I remember that playoff series he had with the Texas Rangers. I'm sitting there watching and I remember tapping my dad going, see that kid. I love his swing. I love how he cuts it yeah. off at the end. It's like a punch. He was just, he was young then, always big power guy. I've always been a fan of Nelson. I didn't get to play with him. He came into Seattle after my time. I still keep up with him today, and I still keep my eye, you know, one eye on, on Nelson Cruz all the time. I'm amazed what he's doing at the age he's doing, and he's still producing at that high level. But give me a little back backstory to Boomstick, yeah. maybe, and Giddy Up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, giddy up because I grew up in the 50s and 60s and, and watching a lot of Westerns because that was the, one of the big things in entertainment. The Lone Ranger was my favorite uh, of all those Westerns. So, you know, you're always hearing the Cowboys and watching John Wayne movies, giddy up. But Boomstick Baby, be, you know, his nickname is a Boomstick. And when he came over, I said, you know, I think I might have something here. And it it's from the NBA when Reggie Miller was playing with the Indiana Pacers and there Bob Slick Leonard, uh, basketball hall of famer, coach, player, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, he was a radio guy. And when Reggie would hit 
a three-pointer from like the deep corner, you know, uh, they're play by play, got Reggie in the corner and he hits it and you'd hear Flick Leonard say, boom, baby. So knowing that and having met Bob a couple of times, and then, so now we, we get Nelly in the steal. So I asked my kids, I said, how about Nelly hit, when Nelly hits a home run, I, I say, boom, stick, baby. So oh, yeah, you got to use it, got to use it. So the next day I, I, I asked Nelly, I said, do you mind if I, if I do this? He says, no, go ahead. Man, did he love it. The first time I whipped it out was in Oakland, and he hit a missile left field into those empty concrete stands down the left field line. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, and I said, Nelson Cruz, his first home run. It was a matter of boom, stick, baby. And Mike looks at me. He goes, that's pretty cool. I like that. And that's how it was born, man. And, you know, for four years, that was always, you know, every game going in, hoping he'd hit one or two or three home runs. And as great a player as he is, he's a better human being. And it's a lot of fun. And then the giddy up thing. You know, like I say, it goes back to the Westerns, and it's just, you know, just something, try to be a little bit unique, a little bit of, throw a little flavor in there and a little bit of my personality in there. So that's that's why I threw that in there. It's it sort of, you know, something, if you try to make that, it has to almost be, it has to be organic. You just can't, uh, here's what I'm going to do. It has to, there has to be some meaning behind it to make it authentic. And, and I think that fits the bill. You mentioned earlier you like to go down. You like to go down and watch BP. You like to hang out with the players. Absolutely. Uh, a lot. A lot of the play-by-play guys do. The guys we travel with. You know, whatever team I was with, we always had a group. They're always milling around during BP. Hey, what's going on today? You know, they're just kind of getting the exactly. pulse on the team. What What is your relationship uh, with the players? It's pretty good. I mean, I only had one. I had one. Richie Sexton beefed at me one time because one of his buddies. It come in, Chris Reitzma, who had had a good run, then his arm just went. And I said, he got lit up one day, like five runs, six hits, three bombs. And we were going to break, and I thought my mic was down, and I said, man, he got freaking killed. Jeez, that was ugly. So Richie was, must have been in the video room or something that day. He said, hey, Big Sims, you got to watch your set name. I said, leave me alone. Get out of my face. That's the only time, that's the only time, that's the only time anybody said anything to me. Uh, and I had, and I love Raul Abanez, but one time I heard their producer, he says, boy, it'd be nice if Dave wasn't around all the time. I was like, dude, I'm not breaking any balls. I'm not trying to be Woodward and Bernstein. That part of my career is over. I just want to know what the heck is going on. I got, a, I got three hours to fill here. You know, I, I want to pick up a couple of laughs here and there or some interesting stories, you know, about a guy's journey, um, a relationship he's got with, with somebody on the other team, somebody punched out on the other team, somebody, you know, maybe his brother-in-law plays for the other team. Interesting little tidbits to talk about because on TV you can, you know, you can let it breathe and you can go moments of silence. It's no, it's no big deal. Radio, you got to talk a little bit more. You can still leave some, you know, leave some air. You don't have to go wall-to-wall sound. And it's good to hear the sound of the ballpark. You know, hey, get your hot dogs. It's good to hear that. You don't have to you know, be yetting yammering all the time. But I, I just, I just want to have a feel. I mean, I, I, I think the fact that I was a pretty good jock and, and I got an idea, certainly not at the level you guys play at, but I can empathize with what you're going through, the, you know, the down times, the good times. I get that. And, you know, I, I, like, to, I like to share that and pass that along to the audience. And, and I certainly know from feedback, they love that stuff. And I know as a consumer myself, I love that stuff. Who doesn't like a good story? 
Yeah, it's interesting, and it's an, a real interesting dynamic. And for the most part, throughout my career, I really had good relationship with you know from writers to to the guys in the booth. And, but it's it's an interesting back and forth, and and there's you know sometimes you gotta you gotta kind of walk that balance beam depending on what's happening with the team. And and yeah. uh, I, I remember you know with Marty, and Marty's one of my favorite guys, Brenneman. But you know Marty's personality, and he will let you know, and he doesn't care who you are. You know, he had some run-ins with Junior, you know, at the oh, time. he had right, a lot right, of run-ins with Junior. Yeah, yeah, but Marty, I'm telling you, and i that's why I had such a great relationship with him, because I would tell Marty what, like it was as well. So we'd go toe-to-toe, and then we'd hug it out. And uh, Absolutely, yeah. And I said to Marty, I said, Marty, I don't mind the – the uh, if, if you're the if you get into this business, you want to be a player, you want to be a, a difference maker in the middle of a lineup. Well, you better be ready to be criticized when things aren't going good, because you're going to get the praise when it is going good. And I said right. and I asked each and every uh, broadcast crew that covered me, I said, I've got no problem with it. If I stink right now, if I'm two for my last 20 and we lost six to seven, I I. I expect not to be criticized, but I expect to hear it. And I said, and all I ask is you do it in a professional way. You do it in a professional way. Well, that's, yeah. hey, well, that's you're I just, do. you're I just reporting what's yeah. going on. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not cussing anybody out. I, but you know, like, Hey, like yesterday, uh, we had a game where in, down in uh, Tampa, and Kelnick overran a ball dead central. That you know, nine times out of ten, he's going to catch. This is one time he got caught in between. He couldn't. He, he thought he had to jump, and by in midair, he's jumping. He's like, oh shoot! And as he's coming down, he whipped on the ball. It turned out to be a two-run triple. Turned out to be the difference in the game. I'm not going to kill him on that. I said, now he completely whiffed on it. He'd like to have that one again, but you know, it, and on TV, you can clearly see what the hell happened. So, I mean, you don't have to, there's no name calling or any of that kind of stuff. It's baseball and the mistakes are going to be made. Yeah, especially with the, with the, the fiscal dynamic of sports, even when I was playing, I mean, we were making a lot of money and I'm thinking, wow. Oh, I, I just want to be able to make eight, nine, 10 million a year and not be critiqued. <laughs> okay. Must be a great <laughs> world. You know, you're making these days, you're making 20, $25 million to play a game. I'll tell you what, you're going to get critiqued. That's what you signed up for. That comes with the territory. You want to get a nine-to-five job and make 45000 a year? No one will critique you. But if you want to yep, play with exactly the big boys, right. you got to have a little bit, a little thicker skin. Here's my deal. If you're making $25 million a year, and I say something about what I was a bad player, or bad, and took a bad angle or something, that, that's not taking any money out of your pocket. And I'm going to probably forget it in, ten, in, in less than five minutes. I'm not carrying grudges or anything. And why, you know, dude, you're making $25 million. I mean, a, a line from a broadcast, if that affects you, affects you that badly, you got a very thin skin, uh, not a very strong constitution, and that doesn't uh, bode well for you the rest of your life. Um, all right, I'm going to set up a little scenario for you. It's all said and done. You got one broadcast left. You can choose. You can pick and choose any one, but this is your last one. What are you choosing? Well, I, I think that's pretty easy given the, the, the time I put in here. I want to see it paid off. Here's this bases loaded. 
one out. No, bases loaded, two out. The Mariners one strike away from winning their first world championship. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Swung on it, Mason. The Mariners have won the world championship. The Seattle Mariners are world champions. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. You and me both, man. You and me both. (laughs) Dave Sims, thank you so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun, man. And by the way, next time I'm up in Seattle, if you can can get it going this year, come on, show me something. Slip into that wild card. You know I'd be up there. But next time I see you, I'm going to need a hat. I'm going to need a hat. You got it. You got it. Let me know. Just text me. Let me know. All right. What we do each and every boot. What we do, hold on, you're not done yet. What we do each and every Boone podcast at the end is we get a a question from the fans, and to give that question is the voice of the Boone podcast, Dan Levy. Dano. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing well, Dan. You sound good. Oh, you sound even better. Dave, this one comes from a guy named Brett with two T's in Redmond, and he wants to know this. Dave, what is the difference in how you approach what you say TV Versus radio. Uh, that's easy. Radio, describe everything that moves. TV, you're putting a caption service on it. It's, it really is that simple. And on radio, you know, people are driving in their homes. They're, playing, they're, they're doing work in their garden. They want to know which way the wind is blowing, how the defense is set up, what kind of stance the batter has, what side of the rubber the pitcher's on, um, you know, what kind of strike zone the umpire has today. That's the biggest. I think that's the biggest that the uh, description because television gives you all of that if you're sitting there paying attention, and and just you know TV set up your you know set up the analyst because it's more of an analyst medium, and you know when good things happen, get excited <laughs> on all venues. I like it. And what is your stance when somebody jumps on the field? Do you believe in calling it or do you believe in just not saying uh, I, a thing? I call them? it, uh, and I usually, you know, call him a knucklehead, and, and I probably get right to the line of going even worse than that. <laughs> and uh, on TV, the producer chooses not to show it. But he told it was interesting. We were talking about this yesterday. He says he, he does like showing it when they lead him off in handcuffs mm. as, a, as a preventative me- measure. Have either of you guys played in a game where that has happened, where you've been sitting there and all of a sudden some random nutbag just runs by you? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, well Booney, how about you? Yeah, I, I, um, you know what? I've had, I've had a couple clowns c- come on. Uh, I I just kind of smile like, okay, let him, you know, boys are having a few beers tonight. They probably pass the hat around. He probably has a couple hundred dollars in a hat. And he doesn't know that in about a half hour when things start to hit home, he's going to go. It probably wasn't worth it. But I never wanted to get – I never wanted to interact. I, I never felt any threat. Let's put it that way. So I just kind of kept my distance and and just used common sense and let him have his moment. Whatever, I get it. Uh, so yeah, nothing nothing really to write home about. All you right, didn't do what Mike Curtis did when he laid out a guy in New England. That was uh, I, I, I think you, <laughs> you know what I think you got to take each situation. It, it's it's kind of common sense. It's you got to be there. What's the feeling? Is there a threat on the field? Well, maybe you might have to take action. There's not a threat. Um, it's usually 99 out of 100. It's just some drunk kid running around, especially nowadays. It's going to be on, you know, it's going to be on social media. Uh, it, and it's a harmless thing. He's not looking to harm anybody. He's just looking to get his 15 seconds. So I leave it be. I try to stay clear and, and let him do his thing. 
right, well, gentlemen, especially Mr. Sims, thank you so much for coming on the Bread Boob Podcast. We had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, fellas. Thanks so much. Mailbag. All right, Brett, you know that sound. Time for the mailbag dance. Mailbag time. All right. We're going to go right in this one. And this one is from Fran in Chicago. Brett, what do you think of what is going on with the Cubs and all the players leaving? It's breaking my heart as a Cubs fan. I can't blame the Cubs for what they're doing right now. They, they're they not just sticking their toe in the market and, and getting rid of a guy. They're, they're cleaning house and they're going to start over. They had a great run. Uh, still a lot of uh, a lot of years left for some talented players, but but uh, as a, the organization as a whole uh, sized up the situation, said this crew's not going to not going to work going forward. We're going to we're going to start over. Uh, they won a world championship there. Uh, I think they probably got a lot uh, of great uh, return for the players that they that they traded away. I can't critique them one bit, and it's very rare that the that the Cubs or or the Red Sox, the Yankees type type uh, organizations, ever really tear down and start over. Um, but I think this will be a good one. I, I I can't disagree with the move. Also, as a uh, a little carrot to that question, have do you ever remember a time where a team has totally just fire sailed in the middle of a season? Well, it's not the middle. It, it's the trade deadline. That's I know, you but have you ever? That's, it's kind that's of that's power usually during the season. I mean, well, I mean, you, you almost hear the off season. Like in the off season, they offloaded for this. They they did this, but during the season, yeah, I can see that because that's where the value comes from. That those pieces were needed. It, look at the Washington Nationals. They did something similar. Didn't have as many players as the Cubs, but the Washington Nationals, World Champs, two thousand nineteen. They just trade away. Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Trey Turner having an MVP caliber season. Max Scherzer, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, they traded. That's pretty much their franchise. That's the face of the franchise on the pitching side, on the offensive side. They just moved those guys. So it happens. And and the Dodgers probably, you know, time will tell because you never know. Prospects are just that. They're prospects. They're not proven commodities. So until they're proven commodities, uh, Scherzer and Trey Turner being on the Dodgers looks pretty good for the Dodgers. One day they might look back and go, wow, remember that Trey Turner-Scherzer trade? Look at the guys we got and, and they're stars now. So uh, time will tell on those, on those type of deals. All right, and points for Dan Levy for actually asking an educated baseball question for once. <laughs> somewhat educated, somewhat. All right, this one comes straight from Stan in Las Vegas. Brett, what do the bullpen guys do early in the game when they aren't needed in the game? Depends who you are. If you're, if you have kind of, you know, nowadays there's a lot of roles that are kind of etched in, etched out. Whatever team you happen to be on, there's a closer. He knows when when he might be called upon. Uh, there's a setup guy. They know they're the late inning guys. For those guys that they go down to the bullpen and, and they have different. They probably have different programs, different uh, regimen that they go through because they know. Now, the other handful of guys could be five, six, seven guys. They're on call. <laughs> You'd never know what's got that first inning might be a bust for that starting pitcher that day. Could be he might come out with shoulder tightness. You never know, and you never know who's going to be asked to pitch. 
it's it doesn't happen very often but you've got to prepare for that so the majority of those guys in the bullpen are on call uh when that anthem ends they're on call that anything could happen and i'm going to be ready like i said the closers of the world the setup men they know that they're not coming in till the end of the game well speaking of the end of the game that's where we face this podcast right now this would be the, the ending of this podcast for today my name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical producer. I'm also the technical director, and I'm also the voice of this here Boone podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content all gets taken care of by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. And by the way, if you give us a negative one, we'll fight you. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I'm Tan Levy. Thanks for listening. Do it again soon. See ya.